Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Good morning. Good morning, church. How is everybody doing today? It is awesome to be here with you and to be... Uh, continuing our Shift Perspective series. Can you just join me before we dive in and welcoming those who are joining us online or at our campuses? So, so glad that you could join us. Um, we just trust that God is going to speak to you through the message and you're going to hear from Him and that um, He's going to touch your heart and change your life today because His Word is anointed and God is powerful and He's able to do that. Amen. All right. Well, we are um, we are very, uh, I don't know about you, I watched Stovall's message last weekend because I was in California um, speaking at a women's conference and at a church over the weekend. So we've sort of been crossing one another in the air, met up in the Atlanta airport for um, a dinner date on my way back and his way out. And we meet back in the Jacksonville airport. I go out to California this coming weekend. He flies back in. <laughs> so, um, and the reason our marriage can withstand that kind of craziness is a lot because of um, some of the principles that we're we're going to be sharing about in this series. But before I even move on from that, I want to just echo what Chadi said about Shine. You know, I'm so excited about our women's conference, and I am so excited about it every single year. And if you've never been to Shine before and you're wondering what it is, you know, it's not like we come to church and it's a regular church service. It is a completely immersive experience from the time you drive into the parking lot to the time you leave at the end of the last session. Um, it's a completely immersive experience. And by that, I mean, we have been, it's not just about coming in here and some good speakers and, you know, oh, that was neat and seeing some cute creative things and creative items. But I believe that Shine is an environment, you know, it's not an environment where you come to get information. It's an environment where you come to get impartation. And there's a real difference between information and impartation. You can hear a lot of information and it doesn't necessarily change you. But when God imparts something to you, it changes you from the inside out. And Shine is like that every year. So when we're, you know, this year the theme is hope. And if the world has ever needed hope, it's now. We need hope. And so that, that theme is just stirring. And I believe that heaven is going to open and God's going to impart hope to us as a company of women. And when God imparts something to you, it's yours to give, right? So when we receive hope, we're better equipped to impart hope to others. Leave the fingerprints of heaven all over our world. Isn't, isn't, isn't that what we all want to do, right? Awesome. All right. Well, why don't we just do this? Why don't we just pray really quick and then we'll just dive right on in. Are we good? Father God, we just love your word. We love your house. We love the people of God. We love being part of the body of Christ. And Lord, we just pray that today your word would do its work in our hearts. Lord, that you would give us um, the ability to listen and to lean in and to put into practice what we learned today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what I want to do just, um, I want to really quick review the two shifts that Stovall talked about last week. I watched it online. He set me up great. He's so sweet and always just honoring. I'm always a little bit nervous when I'm not here for a marriage message, a relationship message. I'm like, oh, I hope he, you know, doesn't tell too many bad things about me, but he always is so, so kind and sweet and makes me look better than I am actually. <laughs> but, um, Last, his shift number one, I don't know if you remember, it was shift from working on the relationship to working on yourself in the relationship. Because remember, here is a true fact, you cannot control your spouse, 
you can only control yourself. And so we spend so much energy focusing on things and people that we can't control. If we took that energy and we shifted it toward focusing on what we can control, which is us, imagine the impact that that would make. And then the second shift that he said was stop focusing so much on the outcome that you want, but focus on the process that got you to where you are right now. And he used that great illustration of the golf club and how the, the ball goes exactly where it's supposed to go based on the impact of the swing, right? So it's useless to, to yell at the ball mid-flight and like, move to the right, move to the right, move to the left, move to the left, you know, holler at it. It's going to go where it's going to go and exactly where it should go because where it should go is predicated or based on where the club hit the ball and in what way at the moment of impact. So some of us treat our marriage and our other relationships even as if they were something, a, a golf ball that we can correct mid-flight. When really the only thing we can do is correct our swing. Go back to what got us where we are. And so, so I'm going to continue today with a few more, two other shifts. And I want to just kind of give some analogies about marriage. And honestly, we've, you know, we've been very open about the fact that we see a, a counselor from time to time just as preventative maintenance. I think most of us think about our relationships like women think about cars. We don't want to think about how they work. We just want them to work. And we don't start noticing that anything's wrong with our car until the brakes don't work or it starts making a weird sound or the AC brakes. Or, and, you know, then you go take it to the maintenance place and you realize I haven't gotten the oil changed in 8,000 miles. Of course, it's breaking. And so what we do is we do a little preventative maintenance on our marriage, just sorting things out, talking to somebody who can just be a sounding board for us. And a lot of the stuff that we're sharing with you is stuff that has just really helped our marriage from some of those sessions. So thanks, Dr. Gramer, if you're watching this right now. This is the fruit of your labor. Okay, so a couple of little analogies. Marriage is a pressure cooker, not a vending machine. Ah, it's a pressure cooker, not a vending machine. And if you're going to have a successful marriage, and can I just say, I'm talking about marriage. These are such great relationship principles in general because we're talking about specifically marriage. But if you're not married, do you know that you have the tendency to put this kind of pressure on other relationships or other things like your job performance or your school performance or other things? And so these are just good because this is all about you. And so regardless of if you're married, single, have kids, don't have kids, working, not working, you still have who you are with you. And, it will, and, and becoming self-aware of these things, right, will, will help you in every relationship. But marriage is a, it's a, cook, it's a pressure cooker, not a vending machine. We don't just put, you know, we don't, we don't just push a button and get what we want out of it, right? Remember how Stovall last week, he said, are you going to be content not getting what you want? You have the ability to be content without getting what you want. But marriage is uniquely designed as a crucible for personal growth, if we do it right. I'll never forget um, when actually Pastor Bob and Paige Neal first got married. We went to college together. All you folks over at Julington Creek went to LSU. And... Um, they had just gotten married, you know, I was a young single girl, and I was like, oh, they're like real grown-ups now, like they're married, and they live in the same house and share a mortgage, and that's so cool. So I was asking them, you know, it's funny how you think that's so awesome when you're single, but um, <laughs> you're like, no, that doesn't make you happy to ask any married person. But um, I remember asking them, you know, I had heard all these things about, you know, how marriage is so hard, and it's, oh my gosh, marriage is so hard. So I asked them, is marriage hard? And Bob said to me, something I will never forget, it made the biggest impact on me, he said, marriage really isn't that hard, it's only hard when you want to be selfish. 
I was like, that is a good thing to remember. I'm going to put that in my pocket and take it out when I get married to look at. And you know, it's really true. Marriage is only ever hard when we want to be selfish. Think about it. When we want our way and our spouse wants something else and they're not the same, the result is a fight. I mean, that's pretty, that's it. Think about it. I mean, has, has a, a major fight. How many major fights have started that selfishness was not the root cause? And I'm not saying that there aren't things you should stand up for, because there are. But if you go to battle and die on every hill, you will not have the strength left for the things that matter. And more than that, you won't have the credibility for the things that matter. So I learned early in my marriage to let my husband win in a battle of wills, because I'm saving my strength for the battles that count. <laughs> Just a little tip. And there are battles that count. There are times that you have to go to the mat for things. There are times that you have to stand up and go, I really just don't think this is right. Or I really just don't think this is best. But if you have made every single thing from putting the toilet seat down to throwing your socks in the laundry, to where to go to eat, to what kind of window treatments to have, to what kind of food the person, every single parenting decision, bedtime, nap time, organic food, not organic food, breastfeed, da da da. Like, Oh my gosh, if you're going to die on every one of those hills, you're going to be dead before your marriage is even over. You've already actually killed your marriage. Like, let, let your spouse win once in a while. Like, store up some wins. You know what happens? Because then your voice, when you need to go to the mat for something, it's not one, it's just not the next thing in a string of complaints. If you want your voice to be heard, don't shout all the time. Then you won't have to shout when you need to be heard. If you create a peaceful atmosphere in your home by letting your spouse just win on some things. Like, does it matter if you have bolognese sauce or meatballs? Could you just eat some bolognese? You got to have a fight about it? Do you, could you just eat a sandwich tonight and not go to get a steak? Could you just, could you fold your clothes and put them away yourself? Could you let the kids just drink formula for one night? Could, if your husband wants to be with you and you've just had kids, could you hire a babysitter? They're not going to die. Can you put your kids in the nursery so that you can go to church and sit with your husband? Like, do we have to die on all these hills? We don't have to die on all these hills. And marriage is a pressure cooker that forces us into these stressful situations to cause growth. And if marriage is a pressure cooker for, for personal growth, we don't even have a word for kids. Like, there's not even a word that strong. What they do to help you become the best version of yourself. If you lean into that growth curve, you know, there's not even a word for it. But we're talking about marriage today. So that's a whole different message. But marriage is that. Okay, marriage is a funnel. It's wide at the top and it's narrow at the bottom. Okay, two factors pulled you into the marriage funnel. Attraction and warm fuzzies. That's it. If you knew what you were getting into, you would never get married. You'd be terrified. But you have that, that like, you know, when Cy Rogers was here, he talked about when you have attraction, it lowers that frontal component of your brain where you make smart decisions. And you're like, uh, just following, you know, following your hormones. That's intentional. Because you can't approach relationships analytically. You know, this is the interesting thing. A marriage is because it's got that, it's, a, it's easy to get in. But as you kind of go down into the funnel, you realize like, oh, this isn't so easy anymore. Here's the thing. Okay, 
Top of the funnel relationships do not expose our, what we like to call in our staff, growth opportunities. <laughs> Development opportunities. Top of the funnel relationships don't do that. In other words, people that we don't have to share control with. So that is why the farther along we go in our marriage, right, and you start to see, oh, I just don't feel the same. They just don't do it for me anymore. You know, I used to think it was so cute when she, uh, when she uh, I don't know, made this weird noise when we ate, but now it's like I want to just throw my fork into her forehead. <laughs> I used to think it was so cute the way he got so excited about football, and now I'm just like, will you shut up the baby sleeping? I'm going to kill you if you've made one more noise. That is going down the funnel. That's what that is. See, at the top of the funnel, it was easy. And when we get to that part, we're going down the funnel. Not so fun anymore. Not, it's not all cute. Now you irritate me. This used to, I used to love this about you. Now, uh-uh, I don't love it about you anymore. I really hate this about you. You're going down the funnel. And that's why when we start to get closer to the bottom of the funnel, you know what people do? They try, they're, they're swimming. They're dog paddling. They're trying, they're trying to come up for air. What do they want? They want to go up to the top of the funnel again. Because we love the top of the funnel. That's where all the good feelings are. They're up there. So it was like somebody trying to swim, like paddle, dog paddle up to the surface. And that's when people start, they, they, if, if you have a porn issue, it might resurface here. If you have a history of being unfaithful, it might become a temptation here. Porn, adultery, online chatting, whatever you have, those are all top of the funnel experiences. Do you know why? They don't require anything from us. So they don't make us see ourselves for who we really are. And that makes us feel good, because most of us don't want to see ourselves as who we really are. We would much prefer to see ourselves as who we intend to be. <laughs> but sometimes those two things aren't exactly too close. The other thing, marriage is a stress test. It exposes issues. It doesn't cause issues. <laughs> you know what a stress test is? When engineers, civil engineers, they go and they'll, they'll design a bridge, right? And what they do is they build, before they build the bridge, they build a model of the bridge, and they subject that model to stress test. And why do they do that? They don't do it to damage the bridge. They do it so that they can reveal weaknesses in the structure so that when they do build it, they can correct those weaknesses and it won't fall. Stress tests are actually meant to expose Weakness. They don't cause weakness. They expose weakness. When they stress test a bridge model, it's not so they can cause weakness in the bridge. It's so that they can expose whatever faults are in the structure so the structure can be fixed so that it can be safe. And so many times we say, well, he just gets on my, he makes me do da-da-da-da-da. She makes me do this. I, I, I lose control because she pushes my buttons and she knows how to push them. Well, if you weren't completely covered with buttons all over, it might be a little bit more difficult, <laughs> a little more easy not to push them by accidentally bumping into you. <laughs> That's the truth. The, your spouse doesn't cause your issues. They were there already. What happens is you get into a pressure cooker of a relationship, and all of a sudden, you realize, I have an anger issue. I have a contentment issue. I have a manipulation issue. You know, men, they, when they get in conflict, a lot of times when they feel they're out of control, they tend to use force and anger. Women tend to use withdrawal, withholding, and manipulation. That's just a generalization. 
but that's, that's what can happen. Now, the tendency to do that was already there, but no one's just ever been that close to you to expose it before. But instead of realizing, whoa, I have an anger issue, you go, she's her fault. I was never like this before we were married. Yeah, you're right. You were like that, but you just never had to face it. And now you have to face it. So you can either face it and become a person who doesn't have an anger issue, or you can go back up to the top of the funnel and look for someone who isn't intimate with you yet and who doesn't know that you have an anger issue and doesn't expose that issue in you and won't expose it until you get farther down the funnel. But guess what's going to happen? It's going to come out because it's there. And then you're going to be climbing up to the top of the funnel again. To your second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth relationship. Not because the people. Because everywhere you go, there you are. And because you are the common denominator in all those relationships. So, no condemnation. But I'm just saying. I'm just... There's no condemnation. I know there are people who've been married multiple times listening to me right now. There's no condemnation because for so many people, I think the light just came on. They're like, oh, I thought these people were causing this in me. Now you can redirect like, oh, it's my problem. Yeah, it's your problem. And the great thing about this, let me tell you what the great thing about you understanding that this is your problem. And at the end of the day, you're the only person who can, you can control. You can't control those other people. You can control you, though. So if the problem is your problem, guess what? You have the agency and the empowerment and the Spirit of God to make it go away. And you're the only one who could ever do that. So you are in control about the, of the success of your future relationships because you're in control of solving the problems for yourself. Good? And here's the last one. Marriage is a ski slope. It's only fun when my skills keep pace with the steepness of the slope. I'm going to tell you a little story about when I first learned how to ski. I first learned how to ski when I was 37. Stovall had been telling me my whole, since we got married at 25, that you have to go skiing, you have to go skiing. My family never went skiing. We lived in Louisiana. We never went up north. And I didn't understand what the great thing about skiing would be because I just thought, why would you pay all that money just to exercise all day? I hate exercising, and I don't want to pay someone to do it. But I ended up really loving it after I learned how to do it well. Now... The first time we ever went skiing, he took me and the kids went to um, Montana up to Big Sky. Nobody was there. It was great, probably because it was like 40 below zero, and we went a little bit early in the year. So um, we were skiing, and I got altitude sickness, so I missed the second day of lessons, okay? Missed the second day, and if you've ever gotten altitude sickness, whew, it's bad. It's really bad. It's like seasickness, but like you can't even, it's horrible. So... After a couple of days, I was ready to go back on the slopes, and, you know, we all line up, um, and it's Stovall and then me, and then the kids behind me, you know, Kaylin, Stovey, and Annabelle. Now, mind you, I've missed two days of lessons, all right? So, they've all been in lessons for three days. I've been, in less, I've been in lessons for one. We get in the lift, we go up to the top, and as you do, you get off the lift, and you ski, you know, like you'll get off the lift, and you kind of swerve around, and, and then they have all these different paths with different names, like here's signs, Right? And you can go down this one, this one, or this one. Now, there were two paths. One was called the pacifier, and one was called El Diablo. (laughs) One was green, one was blue. 
And so I said, hey, I think that one that looks like the pat that says pacifier, that looks about my speed. I feel like I could really handle that. And Stubball goes, oh no, we're gonna go down El Diablo. It's gonna be super easy. And it's, 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 I know it says blue, but it's really like a green blue. Like it's, it's just like a little bit more difficult green, says my husband who skis three diamond black slopes. And um, probably was like, I can't take this anymore. I've gotta go ski some more. So I'm like, uh, are you sure? Like, can I just do, I, have my, I literally haven't done one run for the day. This is, this is my first run after altitude sickness. And he goes, no, no, follow me, takes off. I'm like, okay. So I'm kind of just kind of going pizza. You know, you do the little pizza, pizza pie, right? Because guess what I missed? The turning day, the day where you learn to turn, which is really important when you ski. You know, you need to learn how to turn. It's real important. It's pretty much like standing up on the surfboard if you're surfing. Like, you have to know how to turn. And so the kids are kind of behind me, and they're da-da-da, you know, doing their little thing. And, we, and it wasn't too bad at first, but then we got to the first slope. And I was like, are you kidding me? It felt like I was on a 90-degree angle at 5,000 feet in the air. Now, it wasn't. I could totally ski that slope today. But there, without having the skill to descend it, it was terrifying. It was terrifying. And Stovall goes, okay, we're all going to go down this slope, da 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 And I said, I, I don't feel like I should do this. I feel like I ought to wait. Like, I feel like I ought to. He goes, come on, Carrie, you can do it. Always my biggest fan. Always believes in me more than I believe in myself. So I trust him. I'm not going to die on that hill, or at least I think I'm not going to die. But um, <laughs> so I'm going down, and all of a sudden I realize, like, I'm doing this, and everybody else is doing this, right? They're, they're going down the hill like this. And I'm like... Stovall, he stops, he turns around, he looks at me, he goes, Carrie, you have to turn to go down this hill. You will not be able to go down this, this slope if you do not know how to turn. I'm like, you idiot. I missed turning day. And he goes, oh. And just kind of stood there. So, lesson to everyone, if you're ever taking someone skiing and you have a choice, a pacifier and the devil, okay? And they've never been before, just choose pacifier. Just for the first run of the day, let them get their snow legs. Literally sat down on the side of the slope. My kids were doing great, by the way. I started freaking out, crying. I'm not a crier. Anybody that knows me can tell you this. I sit down, I say, I'm not, I'm not going any further. You were gonna have to send a rescue crew up here to get me. And he was like, I are you serious? I'm like, how do you think I'm going to get down? I can't pizza plow my way down. Like, my knees will break. You know, I'm not like Annabelle's like six. I mean, she's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, just kind of. So I sit down. As soon as I sit down, my girls are like, we can't go either. It's too steep for us. So they sit down. Now it's just Stovall and Stovey. So anyway, they did. Obviously, I'm here. They came up and got me. Had to be It was very embarrassing, the whole nine yards. Point being... What was originally supposed to be fun became terrifying when the steep, when the uh, when the slope of the when the steepness of the slope. Well, that's like a tongue twister. When the steepness of the slope surpassed the skill level I had. So, when that happens, terror sets in. And do you know what the first thing to go out of the window when terror sets in? Desire. I no longer desired to ski. I desired to go sit in my cabin and read a book, which is what I always thought I would want to do when I was in the snow. <laughs> okay, as my skills increase, my desire to ski increased. What was once difficult then became fun.
Because not because the, the mountain was different, because I was different. I increased my skill, and so now I wasn't scared of the challenge anymore. If you are feeling disinterested in your marriage, if you are feeling a lack of desire towards your spouse, if all of a sudden something has happened to cause you to lose interest, I would like to just suggest that maybe it's not your spouse, but maybe the demands of the relationship has, have exceeded your relational skill level. So what used to thrill you now terrifies you. Now you used to love to come home, now you dread it because you're worried you don't know what she's gonna say. You used to love to have date night, now you dread it because maybe it's gonna end in a fight. You used to love holidays spent together, now you dread it because you don't know if you are actually want to spend that much time with each other. Everything has turned into a battle and you lose desire, that's scary. And so what do you wanna do? You wanna back away, you wanna close up. It's a desire killer. Our skills have to increase with the steepness of the slope or we're gonna be terrified. <laughs> so I would like to suggest that you know, marriage is designed to force us to increase our relationship skills. And I'm gonna tell you, so many people, they'll say, well, everything was great till we had kids. Because until you have kids, it's possible to remain a little bit selfish, right? I mean, you could be married and make some little, you know, you could be really compatible and make some adjustments and all, oh, well, we just, he just goes and gets dressed in the other bathroom and I don't worry about the toilet seat and he, I mean, she, she, da, 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 da. And, and you just still, you go your own, do your own thing on the weekends and you come back together and, oh, we haven't seen each other all week. Let's have a date night. I'm like, your whole life is a date night. What are you doing? Every night this week, you with each other, that's a date night. So, you know, so you have, then you have kids. All right. Now it's not possible for at least one of you to be selfish anymore. Now what has happened? The slope went, it was here, then it went here, you added kids and it went here. Nothing to do with the kids. It's all about our skill level. It exposes our skill level and so we're scared to death. And that's why the more kids you have, the better parent you become. Nothing to do with the kids, actually to do with you. The more kids you have, the better parent you become. That poor first kid has to take all the brunt of your learning curve. That's why God graces them <laughs> and rewards them dearly. By the time you get to the last one, you're like, ah, this is a cinch. Not because your kid is different. You're different. You're different. How many of you, if you have multiple kids, you're a better parent the farther you go? And it has nothing to do with your kids. It's you. Marriage is the same way. Every year, you have to increase your skills. So I only have a few minutes left, and I want to really talk about these shifts. So the first thing, the, the third shift, shift number three, is shift your source. Shift your source of validation from your spouse to God. Shift your source of validation from, your, from yourself to God. Now, I want to read the very first part of Psalm 20, 73, verse 22. It says, I saw myself so stupid and so ignorant I must seem like an animal to you, O oh God. Wow, that is a terrible self-image. And a lot of us, we wouldn't use these words, but we, we have this self-image on the inside. I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not beautiful enough. No one will ever. We have this ongoing script that in different words, it's the same attitude. And so what do we do? We're looking for someone to help us not feel that way about ourselves. Now, we're not always that conscious. But what happens is when you fall in love, right? And Jessica, why don't you come on up here? Jessica's going to replace Stovall today as my assistant. When you fall in love with someone, all of a sudden, if you felt unlovable, they love you, you feel lovable. 
If you felt like you weren't beautiful, they're attracted to you. You feel beautiful. If you felt like you weren't successful, she thinks you're amazing. You feel successful. If you thought that you weren't competent, you help her out and do some stuff. She's like, oh my gosh, you're so smart. You're so good. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm the best man in the world. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, those things that we feel about ourselves get answered in this person. And so this is what happens. We have our bag of ourself. <laughs> this is a basket, it has eggs. And in this basket, we have our self-image. And you're so good with my self-image. I love you. Pretend like she's snowball. I love you. You're so good at making me feel better about myself. Would you just hold my self-image? And, oh, you're doing such a great job with that. Like, I feel so good about myself. Would you also hold my self-esteem? Oh, you are great with those. Have you been practicing? So good. Okay, well, maybe you can handle also my life purpose. Could you hold that for me? Doing good. Okay, well, what about my identity? And then could you also, here's some hopes and dreams that I have. And then if you could also, my financial goals are right there. The dream house that I want, my family relationships. Oh, I want seven kids. What are you doing? Oh my gosh. What is wrong with you? You're such a loser. What, can't you hold this? You broke all my eggs. Here's the problem. She can't hold our eggs. You can clap. It's good. It's not my illustration. So yeah, it's good. <laughs> I am, I, I am looking to my spouse to validate these things in me that are incomplete. And so I hand them to her or him. I need, this is God. I need to put my eggs in the basket of God. Let God identify those things to me. And let me explain something to you. Even if you're not married, you're giving your eggs. Can you go get that? That my self-esteem is right over there. <laughs> Please don't let it sit by the amp. Okay. The amp pedal. Thank you. Let's stay up here. Are you? Okay. So. This is what happens. You're giving your, either you're giving your eggs to God to hold and you're saying, hey, this egg is broken. Could you please fix it? And could you, you're great at holding on to this, God. Could you hold on to it? And God is like this basket. He's designed to hold the eggs. He's not going to drop them because he's built for that. Right? So we need to switch our source of validation. And if you're not giving them to your spouse, you know, I learned a long time, a very short time into our marriage that Stovall did not want to hold this basket. He was like, no, thank you. You can have that. You and Jesus work it out. I'm going to go on with my life. So I didn't actually give a lot of these to Stovall, but I tell you what I did give them to. I gave them to my kids. I gave them to my friendships. I let some, some uh, ministry performance, some success hold them, some achievement hold them. Just because you're not giving these eggs to your spouse doesn't mean that you're giving them to God. You can give this to a lot of stuff, a lot of things, and you can... You can speak out. You can send out a message. Am I, do I matter? And if that thing answers to you, no, you don't. Your eggs break. Only God will always say to you, yes, you matter. You are enough. And I'm enough for you. Amen. So here's the other thing. Validation. Now, here you go. Put this down. Okay. When we first fall in love with our spouse, do you know you don't actually fall in love with them? Do you know who you fall in love with? yourself as reflected through their eyes. Let me tell you why. When people come from marriage counseling, how do you know you're in love? Well, when I'm with him, I just feel complete. When I'm with her, I feel like I'm whole. I feel like I've, I've found my other half. He makes me feel so loved. She makes me feel so loved. And yet they're so cute. And I love his laugh and I love her smile. And we seem to share some of the same goals and vision. Um, we both are Christians, so that's good. But primarily when we fall in love with someone, 
you come up here so people can see. I'm in love with you, Jessica. All right. And what are they doing? Everything in their eyes, their voice, their posture, everything they do is reflecting back to you what? I'm in love with you. Because <laughs> they want you to know they're in love with you. Right? And you're doing the same thing back to them because you want to show them how much you love them. And so what are they doing? They're projecting yourself back to you. The person you always knew you were. The person you dream of being. The person you hope to be. But not really you. <laughs> you fall in love with the image of you that that person reflects back to you. Finally, someone who agrees with me about how great I really am. Right? So then... You get married and you walk down the aisle and maybe for a while they can kind of, ah, but then there's going to come a moment where life gets to be too much and they have to, they don't have the capacity to hold this mirror up to you anymore and reflect this idealized version of yourself back to you. So what do they, okay, you can go back. Oh no, no, you can't go back. I'm sorry. So what do they do? They put the mirror down, put the mirror down. And all of a sudden I'm not looking at myself reflected to me and Jessica. I'm looking at, worst of all, I'm looking at that person and I don't want to look at that. That doesn't validate me. Looking at that face doesn't make me feel better about myself. Just looking at your face doesn't make me feel loved. Doesn't, I don't like this. Put this back up. But you know what? Let's pretend like this is kids and schedules. I don't have time to hold all that. I don't have the capacity. You've got to grow up and face yourself for who you are. We have to become mature together. You know, one of my favorite lines from Seinfeld, you can put it down. So what we do is we spend all this energy trying to get our staff to hold, can we give Jessica a hand? So awkward to do a. <laughs> we spend all this energy trying to get our spouse to hold the mirror back up so we can feel good again. But God's intention and his perfect plan is for them to put the mirror down. And here's why. Because all growth requires <laughs> that we go from being who we naturally are to who we naturally are not. That is what growth is. And the only way that you can grow is by not getting what you want. <laughs> you can't grow when you get what you want. All growth comes from not getting what you want. So as long as you're getting everything you want, you're not growing. You might feel happy, you might feel satisfied, you might feel like life is a dream, but I guarantee you the other person on the other side of that relationship does not feel the same way because they're not getting anything they want. So here's the thing. We learn about ourselves through the reflection of others. All right? When you first date, meet, the reflection says you are absolutely 100% adorable, lovable, value, worthy, incredible, amazing. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Then you step over the line into spending the rest of your life together. <laughs> And life gets busy and you have kids and you have jobs and you have demanding schedules and elderly parents and all kinds of stuff. And you get fired and then you get rehired. You move. You cannot do all that holding this mirror up and it forces you to put the mirror down. And now I'm just looking at you. Just you. Who you are. Not who I am reflected in you, but who you are. And I'm not so sure I, I like that. That's a tough place to be and it leads me to the last point, and after this, I'm going to turn it back over to the campus pastors to close out where they are. But this, the last shift, shift four, is this. We have to shift from criticism to expectance. I mean, shift from using negatives. Wait, what am I doing? Okay, shift from criticism. My notes were not updated there. Shift from, from criticism to acceptance. You know, there's a saying that goes, it's hard to kiss the lips that chew you out. So, 
If you get in bed at night and there's no snuggly and kissy, you might want to note what your lips are doing the rest of the day. Because <laughs> everything in the bedroom starts that morning. Doesn't just end up in the bedroom. That's again, what is the process that got you there? Probably started that morning, maybe the night before. The bedroom is an amplification of the rest of your relationship. It's not a separate component, it's an amplification. It's the Olympics of relating. So whatever has happened in the rest of your relationship, full exposure in the bedroom. If there's bitterness, it becomes magnified. If there's forgiveness, it becomes magnified. If there's kindness, it becomes magnified. If there's cruelty, it becomes magnified. If there's anger, it becomes magnified. If there's peace, it becomes magnified. Everything is magnified, and yet we tend to treat the bedroom as if it's this totally separate, compartmentalized, different thing from the rest of our marriage, and it's not. It's just, that's where the ball lands, because that's where you hit the ball. This, this is, you're, you're, it either lands by the hole or it lands by the, out, out in the rough. It depends on how you hit it. How'd you hit it when you woke up this morning? How'd you hit it when you called? How'd you, how'd you speak? All those things make it end up where it ends up. And yet we treat the bedroom as if it's this completely isolated thing and not a passion in my marriage and it's their fault. Might want to rethink that. Because maybe it's not. And maybe it's not your fault, but maybe there's just some unhealth there. And I'm going to close in this story and then I will turn it back, I promise. But um, here's the thing. I just want to share a little story from my life. You know how this looks for women sometimes. It looked like this for me. You know, before I met Stovall and we started dating, I was, in a, I was in an abusive relationship. Some of you have been to Sisterhood have heard me share about that. It was in an abusive relationship, just mentally, verbally, um, for about three years. It was really intense. And um, God graciously moved in my life and ended that by his sovereignty because he did not want me there <laughs> to live in that. And then several short months after that, I met Stovall. And the state of my heart was such at that time, it was so tender and so wounded. And here was this man and he was godly and he was very kind. In fact, the very first thing I ever noticed about my husband was how kind he is. He's very genuinely kind. And um, he just kind of came into my world and swept me off my feet. And in a lot of ways, he was like my knight in shining armor everything that this other person wasn't. And he is a wonderful, wonderful husband. And for the first half of our marriage, maybe even a little longer, that's who I always thought of him to be. In a lot of ways, that's what I needed him to be for me. But as time went on, the armor, the knight in shining armor, the armor became a little bit too heavy to wear. And he didn't want to ride on a horse. He needed to just do regular life. But I wanted him to still be my knight in shining armor. In other words, I had a vision of the person I married, and this is who he is. But the person I live with every day is not that thing. <laughs> and so I just know if I work on you just enough, I can make you this. Because this is who you, I know this is who you are on the inside. I know that this is the best version of you, and I just need to do my part to bring it out. And what I didn't realize was, I thought I was doing something loving. I thought I was seeing potential. I thought I was having, you know, believing in him. But what I was really doing is believing in and working toward a, a version of him that did not exist. He never asked to be my knight in shining armor. That was something I created in my own head. And I put him into that box because it satisfied a need that I had. And finally, I was so frustrated with him about several things. And, and I learned that instead of accepting him for who he was, I was trying to make him into somebody he wasn't. And the result of that was that every day, day in and day out, 
unspoken, because I'm not a confrontive person, I was in a posture of being against him because I wasn't satisfied with who he was. I constantly saw him through the filter of who I wanted and needed him to be and who I thought he should be, instead of removing that filter of my own needs and wants and desires and looking at the man I married and saying, this is him. This is who he is. And when I finally rounded that corner and was able to put down my own filter, put to rest the version, and the um, worship team can come on out, put together the version of the knight in shining armor that I created on my own, I was able to see the man I married clearly, maybe for the very first time in my life. And can I say two things? The sad thing is, I realized, this is not uncommon, but I realized at that moment I had never really fully loved him before. Not the person he really, really, really is. Not the person that leaves three-day-old fish in the sink for you to come back to after you've been out of town. Not the person who doesn't like to do yard work. Not the person who doesn't clean up after himself. Not the person who is so zany and fun and spontaneous and awesome but totally disorganized. I didn't love that person because in my mind, those things shouldn't be there because he needed to be this for me. But when I let him put that, the burden of my expectation down... And I looked at the man that I married and I was like, you're amazing, spontaneous and generous and loving and fun and messy and disorganized and completely random and like totally in the moment and really totally like visionary, but then weird. And I don't need to fix any of that. What I really need to do is accept it and love it. And for the first time in my life, when I quit trying to make him and fix him and make him who I wanted and needed him to be, Do you know all, like in an instant, love. Because you know what? Isn't that how God loves us? Just not, I mean, he he comes alongside, he helps, he gives us guidance, but he doesn't approach us every day with like, fix it or we're done, or I'm criticizing you. We're in it for the long haul with God. (laughs) He's not leaving us. And he accepts us. He knows us inside and out, top to bottom in every way. And his love never changes. And until I allowed myself to see my husband for who he really was, I'll be honest, I didn't really love him. I loved the version, the vision of him that I had in my head. And can I tell you, our marriage is so much better because I changed. Because I changed. And so, you know, I just want to read this. You know, we, this last verse, it's Ephesians and Ephesians. Because this was going to be a thing about criticism, but I wanted to share that story because I think it's very impactful. When you, when you have a vision in your head of how your spouse is supposed to be and they don't measure up, it leads to a lot of criticizing behavior and language in your, in your home. And your home doesn't become a safe, welcoming place. It becomes a place to avoid because instead of acceptance, there's criticism. And so I, this is a verse that I pulled out from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. It says, so put away your lies and speak the truth to one another because we are all part of one another. When you're angry, don't let it carry you into sin and don't let the sun set with anger in your heart or give the devil room to work. Don't, even, don't let even one rotten word seep out of your mouths. Instead, offer only fresh words that build each other up, that build others up when they need it most. That way, your good, that way, your good words will communicate grace to those who hear them. It's time to stop bringing grief to God's Holy Spirit. 
You have been sealed with the Spirit, marked as his own for the day of rescue. So banish bitterness, rage, and anger, shouting and slander, and any and all malicious thoughts. These are poison. Instead, be kind and compassionate. Graciously forgive one another, just as God has forgiven you through the anointed, our liberating king. And at the end of the day, if we can just put this into action, it will change the atmosphere of our home. If we can shift to acceptance of who the person is and take our, take our eggs back, give them to God and say, I'm gonna, I don't need you to hold these for me anymore, so I don't need you to be perfect. I don't need you to reflect worth and value back to me, so I don't, you can put the mirror down now. Go about your life. I'm good. You'll be amazed at how it changes your message, your marriage. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.